Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another off-season episode where we have no idea what we're going to talk about except maybe all the free agency and the transactional moves and th- Cody was it is it a quiet free agency period am I losing my mind am I yearning for a nostalgic period that didn't exist back in the peak days of the Woj Shams tweet wars is is this all behind us is I feel like very few things have happened since the first few hours of free agency what say you I'm trying to th- like what what have the last couple of years looked like because from my memory what happened last year? I thought last year was pretty quiet. Uh, I think Kevin Durant like asked for a trade and then wasn't traded and then actually asked for a trade like midway through the season. So that was about as exciting as we got. Wait, Rudy Gobert like someone... went to the Timberwolves. Oh, yeah. 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 But like, is Rudy Gobert to the Timberwolves, would you say that's like equivalent to Brad B- Bradley Beal going to the Suns? Yeah, that's probably. Didn't more stuff happen last year? Or am I just, again, stuck in the headspace of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George moving to the Clippers at the same time? And, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, that and then like, I think Kevin Durant is probably the key one. I just brought him up twice because he asked for the trade. But then like him signing with the Warriors, I still remember that yep, being like, yep. Are we literally just about to see like the video game team of all? And then we did. We basically saw the best team of all time. So I guess if you're going against that standard, sure, we haven't seen the best team of all time be constructed because Kevin Durant was able to get around some kind of loophole with Steph Curry not getting paid that much money. Um, I don't know, Ben. Maybe the whole like new... Uh, CBA is kind of throwing teams for a loop. They're not as exciting with signing things, but I honestly don't know. Who knows what's in the CBA? I thought it wasn't released until like one day before free agency. And then, of course, if you asked our favorite uh, internet sleuth chat GPT to read through that, he might give you all the wrong answers. And you might, didn't that happen? Didn't the Suns, didn't a report come out saying that the Suns were upset that they didn't know the CBA contingencies would ding them really hard for the Bradley Beal situation so the, the new ownership wants to make a big splash and then the new ownership goes oh boy i didn't realize the ferrari cost that much i thought you were about to tell me that the suns used chat gpt you know what i think that would be interesting if you consulted chat gpt it's like hey based on the new cba who should we sign i'd be interested to see how 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 it would handle handle all that i don't think it would look pretty though it would that would be great good. that would be uh that would be some great cheap entertainment um we probably should have thought about that for an entire segment. I don't have an account, though, so what can we do? Um, let's let's do this. Let's do this. We There are some moves we want to talk about. There are some moves that people have asked for our breakdowns of. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll try to hit those. So, like, if I look at the teams, if I look at what's going on here, the Atlanta Hawks, did, did they do a lot? Did anything happen with the Hawks? I guess uh, John Collins was traded, right? Mm. Where was he traded to? <laughs> Wow, this is pathetic. I don't know this. <laughs> this is like this is like Shaq and Barkley <laughs> trying to figure. I keep telling people this every year. I don't know if people think it's a bit or I'm serious. I cannot figure out who plays where until I start watching the games in October. I just have uh, the goldfish memory now. I, I know John Collins was traded, but you too. This is great. This is this is live. We we don't take this out. We have no idea well, where he went. Listen, here's how this worked out today. I was looking up stats for all of the Western Conference finals from the 90s, and I was, like, just freaking out about the fact that Akeem Olajuwon averaged, like, 35, 12, 5, and 4 over a six-game series. What did I say? Was that in 1994? 95. Was that 94? No, it's 95. 95. Yeah. Yeah, and I just I couldn't get – I couldn't wrap my head around that. I'm going to save some of my numbers for that because we might talk about that at another time. So I all of a sudden – end up with Ben here and he's like hey you want to talk about free agency I'm like sure from like we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. it's the free agency <laughs> period we're gonna talk about it I'm knocking things over I don't know if you can hear that um so John Collins was traded to the Jazz by the way I I was I was gonna ask our viewers to tell us by the end of the show maybe who <laughs> who John Collins was traded to the Jazz that's right so we'll okay we'll try to get to Utah but did Atlanta pick up this show's gone off to a smashing start my whole point here is we're going to hit the teams that have made major changes and we can't even figure out if the Hawks have made any major changes well so the Hawks they still have like a couple pending like restricted free agents or unrestricted free agents or whatever and I, I don't think they're really moving the needle it's like Aaron Holiday Trent Forrest, it looks like, but they also got Rudy Gay in the tray. So as far as I'm concerned, there was nothing really Titanic that changed. They still have their new coach, 
from the middle of the year. I can't think of his name. The the old jazz coach. So if you kind of think about it, it was Quinn like a jazz Snyder trade. Yeah, the... they ended up with Quinn Snyder as the coach. So I don't know if they're like, you know what? If we have an off season with our new coach implementing some new stuff, then maybe we'll figure it out. But ultimately, they really haven't done anything that's going to move the needle. The Celtics didn't really do much to move the needle in free agency. As of recording this, Grant Williams is still a, I think he's a restricted free agent, so we'll see what happens there. But of course, they made the Porzingis deal. It was one of the first splashes uh, after the draft and the season ended. Marcus Smart out, Kristaps Porzingis in. On one hand, I've seen people concerned about the culture loss with Smart, kind of the spiritual leader of the team, the bulldog, uh, the, the uh, hustle plays, defensive tenacity, defensive player of the year a couple of years ago. But my big question about that, and leaving the Porzingis element aside for a second, is Boston and their ball handlers. And what we saw last season in the middle of the season when Smart shifted to the point guard position, he could pass and playmake a little bit more. And because Smart isn't a great lead playmaker and Jason Tatum isn't a great like championship-level passer playmaker and Jalen Brown it certainly isn't great in that area either. It's not really his strength. I think having Smart as sort of the first leg of that three-legged attack of trying to create offense for teammates, uh, make good decisions with the basketball, break down defenses and pick and roll and touch the paint. I, I think that was a key part of the shift for the Celtics. And that's the part I'm worried about the most, Cody, with, with his departure. And sort of then you're down to just Tatum and Brown to kind of make those decisions. We saw this with Dallas, where even though you have Luka Doncic and he's the ultimate one-man offense, you take away... Jalen Brunson, and now you're down to maybe just Luka and Dinwiddie. Then you trade Dinwiddie, and, you know, you can never not have, I think, enough playmakers out on the court. What are your thoughts on this? So what I think about Marcus Smart with them and his ability to pass, I don't remember. There were a couple games. I think there was one game in particular during these playoffs where I called him Magic Smart or Magic Marcus Smart. He's like some of his dime drops are incredible. And like you said, I think that did a lot to grease the grooves for what they were doing. And when you had this multi-headed attack where Derek White could make a dent, Marcus Smart can make a dent, Malcolm Brogdon can make a dent, I think that kind of buoys and improves what Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can generally do. Because like you said, they're not necessarily the best at breaking down a defense and creating that way. So the creation by committee aspect, I definitely think they're going to be missing that. And especially when you get somebody like Porzingis, who, you know, last year might have been his last his best season, right, with the Wizards. I think he looked pretty solid. He was making shots. Um, defensively, I still think he's a great rim protector. Uh, he's not quite as agile on the perimeter as you would like. But he's a little bit black hole-ish. I don't think Porzingis is a great passer, and I think sometimes he can fall into a not-willing passer sort of mode. And I don't necessarily know how that fits into a Boston Celtics-style offense. Because even, like, Rob Williams, who doesn't have, like, the huge creation burden, he still can throw some nice dimes. He's willing to make some of those passes. Al Horford definitely, uh, sometimes to a fault, is willing to make a lot of those passers. And then you kind of have this abrupt shift. So I don't I don't necessarily know, Ben. Would you rather have a guy that just fits into the kind of concept that you want to run as a team? Or do you actually like the fact that you have somebody that can bring in some of these other skills that you might not necessarily have? Uh, I, I don't know. How do you feel about those two sides of that, it? That's it. I, I mean, it's a... In one sense, it's a little bit offense for defense, which sounds weird because Smart was the defensive player of the year. But I think your last point is really getting to the meat of it, which is that you bring Porzingis in. He had arguably his best defensive season last year. I thought, he, you know, you could he's not at the top of the best rim protectors in the league, but he had a good year. And so what that gives you now is it gives you Porzingis, Al Horford, who continues to age, and the enigma of Rob Williams, because, you know, on one hand, he can look like Bill Russell for moments, and then he, he has, of course, since the knee injury, has struggled at times to really have that same burst and dominant effect on the game. So you get two of those guys, I mean, if you're going to start like Horford and Porzingis, next to Tatum and Brown defensively, and then you still have Derek White. And so whatever, you know, we can nitpick the difference between Derek White and Marcus Smart, and I think there are some material differences, but that is still a monster defensive lineup. 
where I started, Cody, was on the offensive side, right? What happens when you don't have that ballast, that balancing force on offense? And while White and Smart do a lot of things similarly, I don't think White is the same kind of passer that Smart is. And then, of course, you're losing one of them in your guard rotation, so you're not playing White and Smart at the same time. So I do think it's a little bit of a trade-off where, in theory, the actualized Celtics, to me, look like they could be a, a monster defensive team again, with the more with the bigger body Porzingis more size uh White of course himself being like six a good six four now playing point guard he's even a little taller than Smart was so I, I don't I don't entirely know where I land on that but I guess I see the theory of it I I am I am in the camp that's a little concerned about what the team looks like without Smart but um you know, those, there's a lot of good players there. I think when we talked about sub-All-Stars, we, we talked about both Chris Stapps and Smart. So I don't think it's a huge difference in level of play in terms of your talent. I don't think there's a huge drop-off in talent when you look at Boston's top six or seven. And as we said, Grant Williams, who's been part of that rotation, uh, we, we're not sure if he's going to be back either. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I think what's interesting is you can psychoanalyze as much as you want and be like, oh, it seems like Boston believes in the theory of Malcolm Brogdon. Because at the end there, he was injured. He really did not look good in the playoffs. And that just wasn't the Malcolm Brogdon that we saw throughout the season. But it it seems like they're like, you know what? Without Smart, we can still bring in Brogdon. He can basically do what he does on offense. But then again, you can't say that because I think the initial deal for Porzingis included Brogdon, right? It was something that they were like, oh, we're going to trade this guy. And then it was rescinded. And then the Smart deal came in. So I I don't necessarily know if Boston's like, this is our plan B. Uh, Clearly, it was their plan B. But uh, they still must have some kind of belief in Brogdon to be able to fill that void that they're going to lose with Smart. Right. And again, to that last point, maybe keeping two of those three guys, right? Mm-hmm. If you have three of them and do you, do you play them all at the same time, how does that work? Maybe you have too many players who are kind of in that mold. So you give up one of them to get something different. In Porzingis's case, you get the rim protection, extra defense, and in theory, another big man who can space and shoot. In his case, certainly willing to shoot lots of threes from the outside, which fits in with their offensive, offensive philosophy. So I get that. Um, let me ask you something about Boston quickly. Yeah, yeah. Because this is a team, they were just in the finals. They were in the conference finals. They have a run where they've been, you know, in the conference finals or at least in the in the inner circle, as we like to call them. Did you see anything this year that changed your opinion from that? Or do you think that this, even if it's like a horizontal move, picking up Porzingis for smart, are they still pretty aligned to become an inner circle type of team again next season? Yeah, I think they're on track. The caveat here for me is we're a little bit in the 1970s, as I've said before, where I do think the league is close together. There's a lot of parity. There's a lot of rapid strategic change that we've covered a lot over the last two seasons. And so I personally don't have a lot of confidence with what the 2024 season is going to look like, maybe without having a better feel for all the teams in the league, you know, who looks like what. In, in the preseason in terms of physical health, in terms of synergy. Um, another thing is COVID has been happening during all of this. And so we talked about it before. We only really had last season as like the first full off season before a season. So I'm still not, Cody, I don't know how you feel, but I'm still not looking at 2024. Like these are the haves and these are the have nots of the NBA. It's still a little murkier for me. It's murky, but I feel like we still have like, a solid idea who, of who should be at the top and, again. Right? right, and I would put Boston in that category uh, yeah. on paper in the offseason, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I don't want to do like a preseason type of thing, but I will not be surprised if come March and we start thinking about some inner circle teams again, if, uh, if Boston is right in there again. Yeah. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I just want to point out, this is just a massive earth-shifting move. They've lost Robin Lopez. He's gone back to the Bucks. 
So the Lopez, the <laughs> Rolo and Brolo are back together again. And I just want to give you the floor because I know Javon Carter is no longer there. So I just want to give you the floor really quickly before we discuss Dallas. Um, I don't know why I just did that for the YouTube people. My mouth went in every different direction when I said <laughs> Dallas. Uh, but yeah, I just want to give you the floor. The Lopez brothers are, are reunited. Well, first of all, um, I'm going to miss Carter. I really liked him. I thought he could have played more in the playoffs, not this last year, but the season before. Me and some other Bucks people, the uh, the famous Kurt that is brought up with the uh, – I forgot what I even said on that phone call. It's Whatever. This is a deep cut. But it's I'm a, a big fan cut, of Javon yes. Carter. He, he – I don't know. He's really fun to watch. He's one of the best pick somebody up for 96 feet and just be a pest sort of guy. He really improved his shooting, so I'm interested to see if that helps them, if he keeps that up with uh, Chicago as well. So um, I'm sad to see him go. Rob, Robin Lopez, what I find really interesting about this is a couple of years ago when Milwaukee was so – like ingrained in their drop defense. One of the issues was that they would go from Brooke Lopez starting to Robin Lopez coming from the bench. And it was just like cycling one drop defender for another drop defender. And they were both very good at it. Robin Lopez in short spurts is a very good rim protector. You can't really run him like starter minutes, but in those short spurts, I think he's pretty good at it. Um, Last year, what happened what was an interesting swing is they just didn't have a backup classic big man. And they kind of tried to run with like the Bobby Portis, Giannis Brooks sort of thing. And I think that lack of size hurt them at some times. So I think having him back again, but also still having the flexibility of like Bobby Portis, I just like it for giving them different optionality when it comes to how they're going to be running their defense. But again, that's all really up in the air now with their new coach. Cause they no longer have coach Budenholzer at the helm. Okay, so let's move on to the Dallas Mavericks uh, because they made just – I mean, when you get a move like this, it, it changes everything. Two, <laughs> two years, $4.6 million for a Curry, Seth Curry, uh, back to the Mavs, where I, I thought he had his best seasons and his best seasons playing next to Luka specifically, that incredible outside shooting. Now, he is limited – but I only start with him to try to figure out, you know, is he going to be part of the rotation for Dallas? Is he going to be another guard piece that works really well with what they have? Or is this just a low-level signing that sits at the back of the rotation? And how does that rotation work right now? Like, what's the best lineup? They bring back Kyrie Irving, so it's a big splash. But um, it, as far as I can tell, it's kind of the same team so maybe you're looking for a leap from Josh Green or something like that Maxi Kleba is going to come back and uh, knock on wood will be healthy missed a ton of time last season and wasn't healthy they've also brought back they've resurrected Dante Exum back into the NBA like are, are, is anything going to look different with Dallas than what we saw at the end of last season I guess is is where I'm going with this well you bring up the Titanic shift in Dallas Ben you didn't mention the most recent action that the Mavericks took. What, ben, what, what was that? I don't know what it was. What was it? They brought in Matisse Thibel. I just texted you about this one hour ago. You literally just texted me about this. So if you think about it, it's kind of like two ends of the spectrum here. You have Seth Curry, who can be played off the court because of his defensive woes, but can shoot the absolute lights off the ball. And on the other hand, you have Thibel, who can be played off the court because he really can't do anything on offense besides uh, cut to the basket and hope James Harden throws him a lob or steal the ball and dunk it on the other hand. Uh, so I think that's interesting. And when you have like Josh Green, Seth Curry, uh, actualized Dante Exum, Matisse Thibel, I think what you have, especially when you have Luka and Kyrie to handle like the brunt of all of the handling, the offense, the creation and stuff like that, you could just kind of like pick and choose and swap around and see what's going to work. Do we need some spacing today? Is that going to work? Is Thibault's hand-eye coordination really at the top of his game right now? Is Josh Green going to level up as another passer again this season? So um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how much it moves, but I think they've opened themselves up to have some really interesting uh, options for how they can set up some different lineups. Yeah, I'm just I'm just wondering how different this team could possibly be with running it back with similar personnel. I don't I don't really have a feel for it. I guess Rashawn Holmes is he going to start at center? Is that a new thing? Um, that might be an interesting target for for Luca in the pick and roll game. What would be hilarious if Rashawn Holmes does not play for Dallas? And I'm just completely making this because Cody's face is like I don't know if Rashawn Holmes plays for Dallas. Um, we're, we're going to move along. I, I just 
want to point out that I, Dallas is like another team that I just have no feel for what has changed in free agency and specifically to your point with Matisse. He's another player like Curry where I think you can see a world where they make big contributions next season. You can also see a world where they're in and out of the rotation and effectively um, don't really have any impact on the roster at the end of the year at all. I'm trying to think, if you were Dallas, I think one of the things you needed, man, I don't even know because I feel like after the Kyrie trade, their offense when they were both together, do you recall off the top of your head? What did that look like? Because I feel like I remember the, the the minutes with Kyrie being on the court without Luka actually looked better in some of those short spurts. And I thought maybe they kind of collapsed defensively because I remember that being a whole thing is the season before they built their entire identity on defense. So uh, I think that's a key going to the next season is trying to figure out what is going to be the identity when we walk in here. Are we going to like are we going to take inspiration from like the Kings and just go full blown blitzing you on offense kind of thing? Or do you want like a well-rounded approach? Do you do you think that Luka and Kyrie are good enough on offense that you could just surround them with defensive types? Because, you know, Kleba was injured for a lot of last season. But I thought the season before he had an outside shot. He was like a, a bubble all defensive kind of guy. I really liked his ability to switch some of his rim protection. I thought he held up in the playoffs fairly well. Um, so if he's healthy... I don't know. Are you able to construct a solid little defense while also having a good enough offense if you surround with Josh Green, if you surround with uh, Reggie Bullock, if you surround with Matisse Thibel? I'm not really sure, but I think they need to decide what their identity is going to be. Yeah, no, that's a good way to put it because to me, the defining characteristic of the end of last season was they just ran out of defenders and big men. They were already trying to play small lineups that we saw in the playoffs in 22, and you have Dorian Finney-Smith out there plugging so many holes. He went to Brooklyn in the Kyrie Irving trade, and then it was just like with Kleba done, what did they have? But this season, in theory, you could have Rashawn Holmes, you could have Kleba, you could have Powell, you could have lineups where Matisse Dybul is part of those lineups. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of it hinges on what kind of conditioning and shape Luka's in, because as I've talked about before, I think his defense uh, his defense last season was an issue and his conditioning last season throughout the season was an issue. Cody, here is a team where there was a big splashy move, sort of, because the player involved is like 46 years old. Uh, Chris Paul is now playing for the Golden State Warriors. I, should they just trade for James Harden and just get the whole thing <laughs> over with? How weird is it that Chris Paul is playing for the Golden State Warriors right off the bat? I, I, is he going to start? Because if he starts, here's here's the crazy thing. If he starts, that means... Stephen Curry plays the other guard position. Klay Thompson plays the small forward. Andrew Wiggins slots to the power forward. And Draymond Green, who they just re-signed uh, to, a, to a new deal, he would be the small ball center. I uh, have reservations about how that team works, especially defensively, given what we saw last year when Golden State had to play small and some of the things in the regular season. So... I, I I don't know. Does he even start? What? We, go ahead. Go ahead. What are your thoughts? I'm just wondering this. If the first time Chris Paul, I don't. Did they rename it? Do they have their new arena? What is their arena called right now? I legitimately don't know. It used to be Oracle. I don't. Think I think it's, it's the Oracle Chase anymore. Center, right? Is it the Chase Center? Yeah. Let's just call I, it that. I can't be bogged down with these kinds of details, but I just want to know if the very first time Chris Paul walks in, if on every one of the screens on the jumbotron. Everything on the sides, they're just replaying Stephen Curry, crossing him up on the sideline on the little step bag jumper. That's what I want to know. Is that what Chris Paul's walking into? And is he the kind of guy that's going to be okay with Draymond Green bringing up that crossover every single day for the next year? Is that, is that going to be okay? I, I don't think Draymond will bring it up every day. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's a little unfair. Um. <laughs> but to, to your point, though, uh, I just... Man, I don't know. I feel like what we saw of Chris Paul in the playoffs, we saw a significant drop-off. I thought in the regular season, he was looking, like, fine enough, right? Like, his efficiency was dropping. I think he was right around neutral, which dropped even more when we hit the playoffs. Defensively, he still has the hands, and he has the intelligence, and he has the smarts to be where he needs to be. But on offense, 
I feel like that might be a moment where he realizes, like, wow, I really need to preserve myself. Maybe I should just come in with the bench unit, work around with those guys a little bit more, reduce my minutes to maybe, I don't know, 25 minutes a game. I don't know what he was playing last year, maybe even like 20 minutes per game. But I feel like it would make the most sense for him to come off the bench. Is that what you're thinking? I do think him coming off the bench uh, does make sense from a certain perspective. So that's why I'm wondering if that's where they're going to start the season and how that plays out. It does feel like an old team to me, right? It does have mm. that AARP kind of, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of old guys uh, out there. And it's weird to say about Golden State, but I also think looking at the moves they have, or maybe, maybe more importantly have not made, Dante DiVincenzo has left. You look at that roster and you say, uh, are they going to have enough shooting for 2024? They need another good shooting season from Wiggins, Clay Thompson, Curry, We'll see where Chris Paul plays out, but um, I mean, you know, Kavon Looney and Gary Payton the second, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to pass on his name. I was going to say his name again. Every time I go to say this rookie's name, I mess it up. So it's their first round draft pick. Um, I just, oh, yeah, yeah, I just can't say his I, like I know how to say his name except when I try to say it on a podcast. It's Brandon P- Pajemski. I think that's it. But yeah, every time can, I go to say it on a podcast, I butcher it. Um, <laughs> we can call him Brandon for now. But just to fact check myself for a second, Chris Paul played 32 minutes per game this last season. And as I'm eyeballing it, he's never played fewer than 31 minutes per game. Uh, I think it would probably do him well to drop that down to maybe like 25 minutes per game throughout the season. He, unless he has like the LeBron opinion where he's like, it doesn't matter once I lace up like a game's a game. Uh, but I still think he should probably drop that to 25 to 27 minutes per game. Yep. Yep. I agree. So there's a lot of people who say the Lakers won the free agency. Um, I don't know how. I don't know how anyone knows that. How do you know who won the free agency before they've even played any basketball? You know. You know how people give out the grades, Cody, on on free agency and things like that. I want to see somebody do grades on the grades. I want to see an entire <laughs> podcast, 2019 grades on the grades. And they can go through. This was given an A, and I, in retrospect, that didn't work out. So I give it a, I give that grade a D plus. If I had to hand out grades, it would just be A pluses all around. Everybody's trying their best. They're giving out money. Everyone wins. It's it's all good. Uh, so the Lakers, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around what the Lakers did in free agency. I think the first thing they did was secure Austin Reeves, which yeah. kind of gives you the same team. So they're going to come back with. D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt is still there. They bring in Torian Prince. They bring in Cam Reddish. They draft uh, Hood Shafino. They bring in Gabe Vincent, breaking up the breaking up the South Beach law firm. I'm never going to get over this, that this was broken up. We didn't get to see them run it back. Um, I... I don't know. Were there any key moves there? This is this is this is why I'm having a hard time with this free agency. I don't know what to make of the Lakers one free agency. But is there really? Am I missing a meal? Uh, a meal? Is am I missing a deal? Was there was there something material that happened? If you want a meal, like we can turn this into one of those podcasts where you like eat on tape. Like I don't know. I don't know what we would eat. Because some people like, I don't know, they're, they're I, into that. You're eating some kind of a full meal, a you snack. get takeout. No, I think a pod, an appropriate podcasting food is a snack. I had I had a banana once with J. Kyle Mann on the show, and uh, it was before the days we put the show on YouTube, and un- it's unfortunate because he fell apart. I just took a bite of the banana while he was, you know how he gets on his soliloquies about old games and things like that. And I just took a bite of this banana, and he, he completely lost it. Uh, he fell out of his chair. He couldn't talk for like three minutes. Anyway, Cody, the Lakers, are they good at basketball? I think it's called a mukbang. A mukbang is when you're, like, on YouTube eating food. Whatever. So I think, like, the Lakers are being graded on this curve where the consensus seems to be that the Western Conference Finals run was not a fluke. People are like, yep, this team was really good. And even we talked about on the top 10 list. Like, LeBron's a fringe top 10 player in the league. Anthony Davis is possibly a fringe top 5 player in the league. Like, that's a good base to have. And I think everyone... What did I say? I said, I love it. Keep going. Yeah. And I think the the key here is that everyone was like, okay, if they can get, if they can keep Reeves without another team hiking up the price and they can bring back Hachimura, 
that's a win. They accomplish both of those, but then they also bring in some of these other guys. They bring back Russell, who, you know, much much maligned during the playoffs, but hey, he can still make some shots during the, the regular season. You all, I think you and Mike De La Rosa did a video about him being somewhat of a defensive organizer for the Timberwolves with his with his communication, and they bring in a couple of other players, because I think that was an issue with them coming into last year. It's like, all right, they're kind of taking all these spare parts, they're making something of it. All of a sudden, they have a couple of guys that they can add to that with some names, and it's like, oh, okay, so they did exactly what we wanted and a little bit more. So I think ultimately, like, every team kind of has their own curve. And I don't know if that's established with the grades. I don't know if everyone's grading everyone equal to each other. But I think that's why people are excited about the Lakers. I I, I, I don't know what's different with the Lakers. I really – I just <laughs> But isn't that a good thing? They just made the Western yeah, Conference Yeah, no, finals. it's a good thing. It's a good thing. There's just no further analysis than, I think, where we were – Last season, we can have a vibes conversation if you want, but I, I think they're good. Uh, I liked what they did in free agency in terms of keeping that team together, but I'm not sure there's anything new. This is part of the reason why I had 2024. I just have a feeling, Cody, 2024 could be a weird year. Some weird stuff could happen in the NBA. There could be a surprise team. The top could reorganize. You might think this team's going to be really good and they fall off. There's a lot of, there's a lot of players ready to age out. This generation feels like it's been around forever. I don't know when they're going to fall off and I I just don't get it. Is LeBron going to play till he's 47? I don't, (laughs) I have no concept of the aging curve anymore, but I do have a concept of a team we alluded to earlier. uh, The Memphis Grizzlies, they get Marcus Smart. And so now the Grizzlies, ha- did you know that? Did you know Marcus Smart played for the Grizzlies? I did. I forgot that, though, for a second. I forgot that as well. Uh, Marcus Smart goes to the Grizzlies, which makes them an incredibly interesting team to me because they did not have their size in the playoffs last year. They did not have Steven Adams, and I think size and depth are a big part of the success of that team. But if you talk about that team and that go back to that inner circle title contender concept, for me, at least, I've needed to see more from Jaron and Jaw to get there. Maybe even Desmond Bain to get there. Now, Jaw has a ton of off-court stuff, which throws this into the like air. Who knows what's going to happen there? Is he going to be on the team? Is he not going to be on the team? Is he still going to be a super-duper star? Can he be a top-10 player? Um, I don't know, so it's a huge question mark. But Jaron Jackson continues to ascend upward as a player. Bain just came off another really good season. They're both young. You add in Smart. Jackson and Smart. Cody, we have established on this show that I cannot remember what I ate for breakfast, let alone these factoids. Aren't they the last two NBA players to win the Defensive Player of the Year? Did Jaron win it this last year? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Jaron won it. So that means the Memphis Grizzlies have the last two defensive players of the year on their team and aren't they both still in their 20s uh you know this is not exactly like we're talking about uh an old Kembe Mutombo coming in and joining a team or something like that so the backbone of this team is still potentially there um I don't know I again I don't even know if are Smart and Morant gonna play together like what's the Smart Morant uh Bain Jaron Jackson Steven Adams is that the lineup Wait, help me out. Okay. We need to address something very serious right now, Ben. Because everyone, you know, we could talk about John Morant being out for 25 games, and everyone's like, they're fine. Do you see how well the Grizzlies played all these games without Jaw the last couple of seasons? They can replicate that, Ben. Oh, oh no. You, oh, no. I know, know where this is going. Do you the know why they can't replicate know where this it? is going. Yes. <laughs> Do you know why, Ben? Yeah, I do know why. Could you let everyone can you let everyone know why they, they won't be able to replicate this again? Tyus Jones no longer plays for the Memphis Grizzlies. Their backup point guard who is able to step in and play some very solid starter point guard minutes, whose plus minus numbers, especially two years ago without John Morant, were tremendous. Uh the the clear, true nineteen eighties classic point guard is gone for them. And I know, I know they brought in Marcus Smart. They brought in Derrick Rose, who played like 23 games last year. He's changing to his college number, so it's a fun little coming home story for that. Uh, but the question is, is that going to be enough? Is that going to be enough for uh, them to buoy the minutes without John Morant? And some people might say yes, but Ben, I'm skeptical because like Drew Holiday, 
like Jimmy Butler, I think there's something special to what Tyus Jones does that's very, very difficult to quantify on the basketball court. So uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous about the Grizzlies, but I do think that they are knocking on the door for contention. They just need to make that final step, and we'll see if this smart trade is what does that. Yeah. No, that's we, we all know about your Tyus Jones love around these parts. Uh, I forgot about that. That's That's my fault. I apologize to you. And to everyone listening and watching that I overlook such a grave, grave loss that the Grizzlies will probably not be able to overcome. Uh, maybe if anyone could do it, it's, it's Marcus. Maybe he's able to steady the ship and play that role while Jaw is serving that 25-game suspension. I also think with, with Memphis, just continuing to see what happens with Jaron, um, you know, if he, if he has one more gear in his ascension... Because he was an all-star this year, I think he's very clearly an all-star level player with that defensive value that he provides. If he can get the shot to finally uptick a level, which in today's NBA at volume shooting means you go from you know, 34 35% of your open threes to 39% or something like that, that makes a huge difference. Or he sh- he's shown more um, sort of offensive package, scoring, finishing, spinning, hooking, posting against smaller players. Can he somehow put himself in a position to play make more in those spots. Can he pass better from the elbow or something? If there, if he can find one more level, I think that could be the huge difference with Memphis actually jumping up into that group this season in addition to some of the transactions that we just talked about. We're going to um, on that though. The final point for the Grizzlies is uh, I do think there's somewhat of an addition by subtraction thing where I just didn't love the Dylan Brooks experience in Memphis, and I think he brought some kind of a toughness that I think Marcus Smart is able to replicate. Marcus Smart also can sometimes go in the I got this mode where he takes some shots, but I feel like he, just overall he's a better offensive player, better passer, better scorer than Dylan Brooks. So I do think that uh, not to be like mean about it, but for being an objective and. Uh, an analyst, I do think that's ultimately going to to help them. So I think the Grizzlies are definitely a team to watch as like, are they going to make it that one extra step or are they not? So we have two teams just for posterity that we have to mention are in uh, summer limbo. I suppose Miami is trying to, mm-hmm. I think, get Damian Lillard. I think that's the plan for them. And then the other team in summer limbo is uh, Philadelphia because they still don't know what's going on with James Harden. I want to get to Phoenix, but do you have any thoughts on either of those teams with just so it's on the record. So it doesn't seem like we're skipping them once something crazy happens as of right now, I think uh, not a lot of other fireworks with those two uh, deep playoff teams in the last few years. I just, I, I don't know about the Dame thing, Ben. I just, I don't see any trade that makes it worthwhile for Portland. I just don't see that happening. And I know at this point in this in this economy, Ben, right now, I don't think you're going to get even close to what we've seen from some of these last stars that were traded. Even like DeJounte Murray, like the amount that, that um, the Spurs got for him last summer, the amount that uh, the Jazz got for Rudy Gobert. I don't think you're going to get anything near that for somebody like Damian Lillard. But you can't just like completely trade him for like, 20 cents on the dollar so um i wouldn't be surprised if damian lillard ends up staying there for you know i don't want to put a time on it but uh you know i'm not holding my breath for a dame lillard trade this week makes sense let's uh i think this is the last key team we have to talk about let's wrap up with phoenix which is probably what everyone came for in the first place these are all the questions we've been getting for the last when did that happen like three weeks ago four weeks ago what day? When did the finals end? When I can't keep track of time. Do you have any idea? Who knows? I don't know. I, I had like a mini take on Brad Beal at that at that time, but uh, I'm interested to see if you have any more burbling thoughts. Well, you have you lost the take, or is it still there? Uh, no, I I can still say. Okay, some no, stuff. let me get my burbles out, and then yeah, bur- we can burble yeah. on, Ben. <laughs> yeah, bur- I think that's a Led Zeppelin song. Uh, so okay, so with Phoenix, so Chris Paul is out. So I think the idea is that they're going to play Booker and Beal together, which I assume means you're going to have like Josh Kogi start as a forward instead of trying to find someone to go small and replace Chris Paul, like campaign moved into the starting lineup. Cause if you went pain, you'd have campaign Beal and Booker as your, as your first three. I think that's too small and giving up too much 
uh, defense, I think. We don't know. We have we have a new coach, but Frank Vogel historically, uh, Frank Vogel's the one in Phoenix, right? I mean, it's, again, it's the summer. I don't know who's where, but Frank Vogel historically uh, is a defensively slanted coach. So I assume we're going to get something like Booker Beal backcourt, Akogi Durant, and Aiton on the front line. And so Phoenix, obviously, this roster construction of four top-heavy players. And then the gap to the fifth best player on the roster in a vacuum, to me, Cody, feels ginormous. It reminds me of the 2011 Miami Heat when they got together and they had Wade and Bosch and LeBron James. And it was like you had very little money and, and transactional flexibility left to fill out the roster. So that first season was tough because they had not just a lack of depth, but two starter positions that they were like, okay, Carlos Arroyo, you try point. No, Mike Bibby, Mike Bibby, you come in, you come over here and you try point guard. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting even uh, Moochie Norris. Uh, maybe he wasn't there until 2012. You, ju- you just had these guys um, who were, you know, kind of like the difference between the third best player on the team and the fourth best player on the team was about 200 slots or something like that. Mario Chalmers was on the team, I think, as well. So, did you mean Norris Cole? What, by who, chance? what did I say? You said Moochie Norris. Wait, is he another player? Is I, I don't know who Moochie Norris is, but I know who Norris Cole yes. is. Yes. <laughs> I want I one hundred percent met Norris Cole. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to find out who uh who Moochie Norris is. Whoo! Uh this has been a show. Cody, let's hear your thoughts on the Suns. Muchi Norris did okay. Just said Muchi <laughs> Norris is a person that played basketball. Um, oh, this is really fascinating. We're not going to go down this. Muchi Norris does exist. I thought maybe you meant Mookie Blaylock for a second. And I'm no, like, great. We're finally no. getting to the '90s. Who did Muchi Norris play for? Muchi Norris played for. I don't know why I went to the Wikipedia instead of Basketball Reference. Uh, he played for the Sonics for a spell. The Rockets, the Knicks in the early 2000s. The that's Rockets right. again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's. What, what did you ask me? Look, <laughs> I was I was only off by a decade and like a few words. Veteran Scrabble players know that you could take Moochie Norris and make him <laughs> Norris Cole without much trouble. Cody, your uh, your son's thoughts. Yeah, I like what you're saying about like, what are they going to do with that point guard position because of like the defensive issues? And I, people might come screaming because it's really sexy right now to say that Devin Booker is a good defensive player right now, but he's not the kind of defensive player that if you have, you know, a point guard like uh, Campaign and then Bradley Beal, that he's going to be able to cover all of those issues. And then Kevin Durant, you know, like we saw, he's able to do some nice help side blocks like we saw during the playoffs, but he's also not like a lockdown forward. And then DeAndre Ayton can be a nice, flexible big man that can roll around and be strong. But again, he's not necessarily covering up covering up a ton of defensive mistakes. So I, I don't know if you can do that. I think they're going to have to do some kind of creation by committee. I think I talked about that with Boston, but this is almost a different level of it where you have just like these three mega offensive player, two of maybe the two Two of the, what, seven best offensive players, and then Brad Beal being, I don't know where he would be, maybe top 20, 25. I haven't really mapped that out. But still, Bradley Beal's a tremendous offensive player, a player with great driving ability, definitely created a good amount for the Wizards last year, especially when you have someone like DeLon Wright out there, who's a good passer, a great defensive player, but not somebody that's going to be breaking down defenses and setting people up. So I think Beal does feel more comfortable in that position, especially when he can pass it off to Booker and Durant. So uh, I I think that's ultimately what's going to happen, is he'll probably be the nominal point guard. Someone like a Kogi will play that forward spot to bring in some defensive juice. But I do think, like, when we look at that Thibault signing, this is probably a team that should have been trying to hunt to get somebody like Thibault to fill some of those defensive forward minutes. Yeah, I think they they need uh, they need someone to kind of improve or grow or something like that, right? We we've seen this before. The Celtics' big three came together. Now they got to in 2008. They filled out the roster better in terms of picking up your James Posey's and your Eddie Houses. They had more flexibility to be able to do that, and I thought they did a great job. But we also saw like Rajon Rondo improve a little bit as a young player. Kendrick Perkins solidify as a starter to round out the unit. So I think Phoenix, this goes back to my whole 2024 is a mystery thing. I think you could see it go either way with Phoenix. I think you could see not enough defense 
and that just creates a permanent problem. They have a good regular season, whatever, but they never get into our inner circle or whatnot because of this. Um, or someone like Josh Okoge with a new coach, uh, Aiton as well. Maybe they all improve defensively. They Okoge improves as a shooter, and you get one or two guys off the bench. You get uh, Utah Watanabe or someone like this who, who they just brought in uh, in the free agency period, right, where he's a big forward, he's a big body. He really improved as a shooter a ton, especially from the corners over the last few seasons. You get someone, I don't know if it's Jordan Goodwin also coming over in that trade, they're, they're a little weird in the sense that a number of the players they have still on the roster who you're hoping to fill these positions feel like they're guys who have kind of gone over the crest of the aging curve a little bit. Like TJ Warren seems to have lost a lot of pop that he has a couple years ago. Uh, Torrey Craig is another one. Damian Lee is another one. So you're kind of like looking and saying, where are they going to be able to get this depth and this help to make the team feel like it fits together. But I think it also comes from Booker. I think it also comes from Durant and even Brad Beal setting the table defensively. If you're Frank Vogel and you have a history as a good defensive coach, if you can get buy-in and a good scheme that works with all those players, Beal specifically is fascinating to me because we've seen players who are veterans, who are older. It even goes back to that 2008 Celtics team. You get moved to a three-star system. Now, Beal doesn't have to be the guy anymore. So he can do less offensively. He can have the other players alleviate more pressure. And he's a defensive player who, as much as he's sort of struggled and not looked great in defensive metrics, he at times has had nice defensive possessions and has the tools, I think, to be a solid defender in a good system and scheme. So it really feels to me like at least summer brain Ben, which is still trying to figure out who coaches where and who plays for whom, it feels like to me you could go in two drastically different situations in this season with Phoenix. So with that all said, um, for the record, I, I like trying these kinds of moves and shuffling the deck. And it is really interesting to see three guys at this offensive level and what they can put together with what you said without really one of them truly being a singular offensive centerpiece or playmakers. They're going to have to distribute that and kind of find a way for it to all fit together. At at minimum, they'll be like a TV analyst's dream. Because when you have like your 30-second spot, like you can get away with being like, I'm not betting against Booker and Durant they're, on they're the same buckets. team. Yeah, yeah. But, but at the end of the day, like they do have the offensive talent where I wouldn't be surprised if they had 50-plus wins and they look very good throughout the entire regular season. I think there's a wide range, but I do feel pretty confident that they should be at least like hanging out again. Sort of like the Grizzlies, I feel like the Grizzlies have the potential to be a better team if some of the things go the right way, but I do kind of feel like they'll be in that sort of same band of players where I'm like, they need to prove something to me to get into that final uh, entry point for the inner circle contenders. Yeah, I have a hunch they could be very good. Some of that is just getting fresh starts and a, a new coach and Durant only played eight games last year and things like that. But but I do think there's a lot of questions and um, a lot could go in many different directions. And I suppose since it's July and we haven't even had summer league, we'll, we'll put a pin in this and come back to it in the preseason. You have a final thought before we wrap up that you'd love to share with everyone. Well, I, I had two teams I still want to bring up. One, they can both be pretty quick, but I want to get your thoughts out there for them. Uh, do you think that losing Bruce Brown is going to be a significant loss for the Denver Nuggets going to next season. I don't know if I'd use the word significant. It could be a significant loss because they played a very tight rotation last year. And so do you have a situation where when you get to the playoffs, you only trust six players instead of seven or eight? Because Jeff Green is also uh, out of the rotation as well, right? So losing bench players, uh, I think, can be a big deal I think you're hoping for Christian Brown to continue to improve and you're hoping to get someone else. I don't know if I'd call it significant, but it is it is a little bit concerning if I were a Nuggets fan going into this 2024 landscape with how close together all the teams were last year. I'd be a touch concerned on the flip side, Cody, if we finally get a season of playoff Jamal Murray. Even if he's 85% of what he is in the playoffs, I think the combination of him, Jokic, and the rest of the roster will keep you up at the top of the Western Conference, and then you're right back in the playoff mix with a lot of home court advantage and things like that. 
I'm not saying that that Bruce Brown is as good as Sean Marion was, but I feel like there's an NBA math thing going on between Bruce Brown and Jokic that kind of reminds me of like Sean Marion and Steve Nash, where you see this guy, it's like, I think this guy moves the needle more than a typical player would or more than he would in a different situation just because of his synergistic uh, relationship with Jokic. So I do think that is ultimately going to hurt them a lot. And I'm, I'm a little concerned. My, my concern meter, like if we're on a scale of one to 10, where 10 is like, I don't know, the clock has struck midnight. Um, I don't know where I am, but it's above a two. It's probably above a three, and it's probably around a, a four-ish. I'm, I'm a little concerned about Denver there because I thought what Bruce Brown does is uniquely special for a title contending team because I think you always need a guy like that that is going to do a lot of that dirty work and bring a lot of different skills to the table and things like that. So it, it, it makes me a little nervous for Denver. Who's the other team that you want to ask about? Do you have any Rockets thoughts? Uh, I, they still feel like sort of a young, fun, up-and-coming team. So mm-hmm. in that sense, I'm not, you know, if you're asking, can they break through and be a playoff team this season? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't thought about it enough. But certainly, I don't think they're, they're a mover and a shaker. I don't think they're, they're up with the Joneses in the, in the league. Is that the expression? Am I getting all these idioms right? I don't know. I just don't think they're, they're – I th- still think they're in that young group. And, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what culture they can set there and what happens with the young players as they continue to ascend. But I still see them as, a, as an up-and-coming team, which could be interesting. And obviously, Fred Van Vliet is the big addition there, but – I think he sort of serves as another good, like a good player in the room, an adult, a guy who can do things well, and that will help you win more ball games throughout the course of the season. They remind me of, uh, I don't know if you remember, I think it was Fran Fraschilla, Fraschilla, Fran, did I? Fran Fraschilla, yeah. Fran, yeah, him. Uh, made the claim that Bruno Caboclo is like I, I wow, can't wow, say names. A lot of names. <laughs> wow, Bruno. Do you remember? You know do what? you remember when Muchi Norris played for the Miami <laughs> Heat? Anyway, he said he was two years away from being two years away. Yes, that's how I feel about the Rockets. Right okay, now, yeah, right. Yeah. I I got to get this name Bruno Caboclo, right? I, I I don't even know if that's right, but now I don't want to try myself. Yeah. Doesn't Basketball Reference have a pronunciation They thing? do have a pronunciation guide. Um, well, Cody is figuring that out. If you want to support us, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. That's the best way to directly support this podcast. We also have our Discord community where uh, huge thanks to them. They were just able to vote on our top 10 players of the year. They always help out in projects like that that we run. You can also ask uh, some of the special guests we have questions in advance it's a fun lively community very very lively community uh what else we've got our stats they won't be updating through the summer but we have our historical stats um that we reference all the time and we'll probably get into some historical content over the summer as we go uh, of course summer league is coming up we'll have a show after summer league and um cody did you find out how to say bruno's name Cabo- it is caboclo Cab- yeah i got caboclo. it right the first time caboclo, caboclo. Caboclo, yeah. Okay, Bruno, Bruno Caboclo. Caboclo. Yep. All right, there it is. Bruno Caboclo, Mucci Norris. That is it for this one. Uh, thanks as always for listening. And of course, I hope you're having a great day. <laughs>